through 310. This is actually a two-part series. I'm going to preach on the first part of it this week, and then next week I'm going to preach on the second part of it. So I'm only going to read from 1 John 2, 29 to 3, 4, because that's what we're going to be preaching on today. Hear the word of the Lord. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him as we shall be. We shall see Him as He is. The word of the Lord. Well, the wait is over for Edward Snowden, the runaway NSA agent who was holed up at the Moscow International Airport. To bring some of you up to speed, Snowden was an NSA agent who left with four laptops full of information. And as a whistleblower, uh, Snowden basically said, look, you're, you know, the government is spying on you, here's all the information, I'm trying to get this out. Well, needless to say, the NSA didn't like that too much. And so he fled to Moscow, and he was in this no-man zone, where he's not American, and he's not Russian. He's on international soil, and no one can touch him. Now, Snowden is not going to be able to come back to the United States without getting, you know, thrown in jail. But the danger is, who's going to take this guy? I mean, he's radioactive. And so he was trying, you know, there were these South American countries that would take him, but he couldn't find a way to fly direct to South America. And if he landed anywhere, they were going to pick him up. So his, his last hope really was Russia. And they granted him a one-year asylum. So now Edward Snowden is, is in, in asylum uh, in Russia. You know, what is Snowden's identity now? Not an American yet, is he? He's an expatriate. But is he a Russian? Maybe for a year. When he was in the airport, he was nobody. The identity is very important. I, I deal with these same problems myself of identity. My, my family hates to travel with me. Because when I go through customs, for some reason they look at my passport and they look at me and they say, wait here. Because apparently there's another Carlos Rodriguez out there who's wreaking havoc upon the world. I wonder if it's Carlos the International Terrorist, if you remember from days gone by. So even when I go to uh, uh, Fort Story, you know, lo and behold, I pull up and they look at my ID and they look at me and they say, wait here. And they're scanning to figure out. And so I have to prove my identity. When they realize that I'm a mild-mannered pastor and not a terrorist, when I pay taxes and can speak English, finally I convince them of my identity and they move forward. They let me move forward. See, identity is very interesting, isn't it? And that's really the issue they're dealing with in this sermon text. Who are we? As Christians, where do we belong? It's like we're in some netherworld, you know? We belong in heaven, we're citizens of heaven, and yet we're not there. And yet we are living in this world, and yet we don't quite fit there either. And so sometimes, in looking at our situation, we look at ourselves and we wonder, who am I? We can get disoriented. That's surely what's going on here. How can we know who we are? This passage tells us very simply. How we behave determines who we are. A righteous life is the result of a redeemed life. How we behave is evidence of our birth. 
And so we need to focus on our identity and we need to focus on our actions. Because by looking at our life, we will be able to communicate to ourselves and the world who we are. We're going to look at three points. I think the scripture draws out three points. Number one, we must remember who he is. Do we know who he is? We must remember who he is. Number two, we must remember who we are. We must have, not have amnesia about ourselves. And finally, number three, we must remember who we will be. We must remember who he is, who we are, and who we will be. Because how you behave determines who, where is your birth. Let's start with the first point. Remember who he is. Now, the book of 1 John is written, Carolyn is a small church, and there was a group of people in that church that were influencing the church. They were telling the church people, you don't have to obey God's laws. They're not required. Jesus is not the only Savior of the world. And frankly, we don't really need to love one another either. Love those who love you, hate those who hate you. And it's like a cancer in the church, and it's stirred up all this trouble. But finally, these people have left. And so the Apostle John is writing these people who are disoriented to help them remember who they are. Remember who he is. And so John starts out with this beginning verse in 229. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices his righteousness has been born of him. He starts out, if you know. The Greek tense there is literally, if you know, meaning in the core of your being. Meaning, it's something that's changed the way you see. I love it when uh, you know, some folks come to me and say, how do you know that the yelling, or how do you know when this person is the person you're supposed to marry? The answer, you say, is you just know. See, that's what's going on. If you know, if you're one of the people that God has moved in your heart in such a way that you know, that you know, that you know, if you know that He is righteous, you know who He is, not He does righteous, He is righteous. If you understand that His righteousness is like the mighty mountains, and His justice is like the great deep, as Psalm 71, 19 says, your righteousness reaches to the skies. Oh God, you have done great things. If you know God's character, and also know God's actions, Psalm 145, the Lord is righteous in all His ways, and loving toward all He has made. Psalm 119, 160, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. If you know who this God is and what He does, you may be sure. Now the word righteousness is very interesting in the Hebrew. It's called tzedek. And what it literally means is straight or right. It's a measurement tool. If you want something straight, you know, we even use it now in our terminology. Don't be a right angle. Or if you're going right as opposed to going left. It means the straight path, the standard. Jesus is righteous. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure, and you may, is in the indicative, you could just as well say, you can be sure, you will be sure. You can take it to the bank, if you know that he is righteous, that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Everyone who practices. You ever remember sports? I've got to practice again. Practice, practice. In the Greek, it's literally doing, the partisan. Everyone who is doing righteousness. See, he's righteous. 
But we are doing righteousness. We are following His commands. We are trusting in His character. You may be sure that you are born of Him. I love this passage in Job. Remember Job was considered a righteous man amidst all of his <clears throat> the difficult things. This is what Job said about being righteous. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. I practiced righteousness. Now you may ask the question, does that mean I have to be perfect? Obviously not. Earlier in 1 John, he says, if, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. But if you're practicing righteousness, indeed even repentance, you can see it in your life. If you're doing righteousness, you can be sure that you have been born of Him. Again, the perfect tense. You don't get unborn, do you? Just born once. Has been born of Him. It's happened. It's not simply to practice righteousness as, hey, I'm going to try this philosophy. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's transformed life. One of my favorite uh, uh, programs, or actually week-long programs, Shark Week. Anybody watch Shark Week? Fantastic. Poetic, sweet, beautiful, sublime, even. Shark Week, you know, and they'll, and they'll do some things where, you know, you see a baby shark being born. It's astounding. The shark comes out and starts acting like a shark. Who knew? Huh? Amazing. It's a little shark. How does it know how to be a shark? Because it's born of a shark. It practices the practices of a shark. See, that's what he's saying. If you know that he is righteous, if you are doing righteousness, you must be born of him. See, how we behave is evidence of our birth. Do we love and obey the commandments of God? It's one thing to say, I love God, and then I go out and do whatever I want. But God's commandments are righteous. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall lift your heart or bow down to an idol. You shall not take my name in vain. You shall honor your father and mother. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Do we long for his laws? As the psalmist says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. See, how we behave is evidence of our birth. Our birth, how we behave, must be the standard of God himself. Now, this is a big, big time in my life. I'm excited about it because I've noticed that there's a problem with the measurement systems of the world. Have you noticed that? We have our system, feet and yards and blah, blah, and then there's the metric system, right? The European system. It can get confusing. So I have brought up and created a new standard which everyone will follow. It's called the Carlos system. Okay? Carlos system, metrics going away. Uh, English is going away. This has been sent to the United Nations, probably adopted, even as we're speaking. It's very simple. One hand breath, mine of course, equals one Carlosian. Okay? One Carlosian, one hand breath. 
Okay, one foot length, of course my foot length, is one Rodriguean. Okay? And this is where it gets even better. One pinky length is one Carlosian Rodriguean. And then finally, one pinky digit is one CR. I ran out of words. I couldn't figure out anything. Kind of like centimeter, <coughs> CR. So what I suggest you do, and what I'm going to do, is whenever I get instructions that tell me how long, you know, when I see eight inches, it's not eight inches. It's eight Carlosians. And so you use that measure, and what you'll discover is everything works out perfectly. Because I'm the standard. See, that's what's going on, isn't it? If you know that he is the standard and are practicing the standard, you can be sure that you are born of him. See, what's your standard? What's your standard of measurement? We all have it, by the way. The rule that we live by. And whatever your standard is, that's how you can tell who you've been born of. Is my standard pleasure and comfort. I measure the success of my life based on how much I have of it. Now, it sounds ridiculous that one would create their own system, but don't we do the same? If the standard of my measurement is what people think of me, I will always come up short. If my standard is how good I feel about myself, it could go on and on and on. But there is only one standard. The standard that you follow shows who you have been born of, because a righteous life is the result of a redeemed life. And so we must examine our standard, and we must change our standard to be God's. Ever heard the statement, measure twice, cut once? We have to measure our life, how we're dealing with our spouse and our children, how we're working in our work environment, how we're dealing with the guy at the gas station. Measure twice. What do you say, God? Cut once. I long for your law. His words must become our words. The way we love one another must become His way. Because then we will see righteousness in this church and in the world around us. We must remember who He is. But let's move on. We must remember who we are. Remember who you are. Look at verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That word see is actually in the imperative. It's a command. It's not a, hey, go check it out. It's see. Look, people. See what kind of love. It's a practice that we're supposed to be doing. And I love it. See what kind of love. This word in the Greek is very interesting. You don't see it that often. Just a couple other times. Remember when Jesus was uh, walking on the water and he got in the boat and the whole thing calmed down? And they said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves are him. See, this is the same thing. What kind of love is this? We've never seen it before. That's because it's not an earthly love. It's a heavenly love. It's unclassifiable as best as we try to classify it. It's a love from heaven above. It's different than the love that we have for one another. It's a heaven-sent love. And it's also a freely given love, isn't it? See what kind of love the Father has given to us. It wasn't earned. You didn't figure it out. You're not smart enough or pretty enough or privileged enough. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us. It's ours. It's been done. It's an adopting love, a heavenly, freely given adopting love that we should be called children of God. We should be called it, you know. It's amazing. I went into Starbucks. I went ahead and uh, you know ordered my frappuccino, and and they go, went ahead and said, uh, Tammy pointed me out. I don't drink coffee. I ordered my uh, fruits or some drink that cost eight dollars, and uh, I went up to pay, and and they said eight bucks. I said no, no, you don't understand. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm the son of God. So that's great. Eight bucks, okay? See that we should be called children of God. If you are a Christian. You should be called children of God because that's what we are. Who should we call? Be called? God calls us that, doesn't He? Even if the world doesn't, you know what difference does it make what the world calls me in terms of son? As long as my parents call me my son, right? It's them who can disown me. Until then, and I hope you never do, I am theirs. We should be called children of God, and that's who we are. He's got to repeat it, doesn't he? That's who you are. Don't forget it, church. You are this person. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. See, when it says did not know him, it means they didn't recognize him. Here comes the Son of God as a Galilean carpenter. And nobody picked up on him. There's crowds just like this. He walked right by. And some people they just never saw him. The world did not recognize him. And if you're born of him, and you are son of God, daughter of God, guess what? They're not going to recognize you either. That'll be eight bucks. But see what kind of love the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God. That's who we are. See, it's hard to remember your inheritance when the world tells you different. The challenge is to remember. I heard the story of uh, a man named Ben Hooper he used to be the governor of Tennessee. And uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but Paul Harvey gave it, and Zig Ziglar gave it, so it must be gospel, right? <laughs> this is the story of Ben Hooper, who was born in Tennessee, and this is his story. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. Back then, to be an illegitimate child meant a lot. When I started uh, to school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and during lunchtime because the taunts of my playmates cut so deeply. What was worse was going downtown on Saturday afternoon and feeling every eye burning a hole through you. They were all wondering who my real father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church and I loved to listen to him. I would, uh, I would always go in late and slip out early so no one would see me. But one day the preacher said the benediction so fast, I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in the church on me. Just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up and the preacher was looking right at me. Whose boy are you? I felt the old weight come upon me. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But he looked down at me, studying my face. He began to smile a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I can see the family resemblance. You're a son of God. 
With that, he slapped me across the rump and said, boy, you got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. And that's when Ben Hooper said he became the governor of Tennessee. See, it was the confidence in who he was that gave him the confidence to live. It's the question we have to ask ourselves, isn't it? Whose boy are you? Whose girl are you? See what kind of love the Father has given us. Examine the gospel. It's yours. Go and claim it. How do we know the gospel? We read it. We absorb it. We come to church. But we also take time in the quietness of our room to see what kind of love. Read God's word. It's his love letter to you. Do I read God's word or is it just something on my desk? Guess what? You won't see what kind of love until you start to open up his word. If you have no idea how to read the Bible, come see me. I'll teach you and I'll help you. We have to read the scripture. We have to talk about it. We have to encourage one another. You know, coming along to someone in the church, whose son are you? I see the resemblance. It's unmistakable. You're a child of God. Remember who you are. My identity. Who's the preacher in your life, by the way? Who's the one who's putting their hand on your shoulder and saying, ah, this is who you are? If it's not the hand of God, I don't care who it is. They're not telling you who you really are. A righteous life is the result of a routine life. The fruit of our life demonstrates who our Father is. This brings me to my final point. We've seen who He is. We've seen who we are. But we need to see what we will be. What boy are you? Look at 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Notice, we are God's children now. It's your title. Son, daughter of God. But what we will be has not yet appeared. See, what is identity has not moved forward into complete actuality. It's there, it's in seed form, it's my identity, but it hasn't flowed into my very being. What do you think a child of God looks like at the end of the day? Must be a fearsome thing to behold. What we will be has not yet appeared. You know, if a child of God in their full sense came and sat down right there, a human being, we would all fall to our knees. What we will be has not yet appeared. We're not there yet. There's a longing in your heart, an uncomfortableness with this world. Guess what? You're exactly where you need to be. If you're dissatisfied with this life, right on. If you long for something more, that's fine. Because we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. When He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. See, we'll look into the face of God and we'll see ourselves. Not as God, but as children of the living God. You can see the resemblance, can't you? See the resemblance of the one who bears you. We will see Him as He is and we will be seen as we are. You know, the great thing about our Heavenly Father, He sees us as we really are, even when we're what we look like right now. And all of our ugliness, all of our sin, all of our screwed upness, if such a word is there, 
He looks at you as the completed child. But father looks at their son, baby, stumbling along and says, oh, get it together. They understand the process. They revel and enjoy it. But the great thing is that we get to participate in it. God has birthed us, but God is using us to help develop. We have a, a um, in our uh, uh, front porch stoop, is a little nest. We have these kind of eaves, you know? And there's a little nest up there. It seems like every year, the bird comes back. Now, I personally am not a fan of all of the uh, mess that the bird makes. But luckily, my wife is a much better naturalist than I. Leave, leave, leave it. And so this bird comes with the little nest and lays its eggs. I know if you've ever seen a, a bird or a reptile or anything coming out of their shell, have you? Start to hear the little, little pecking. It's being birthed, right? But it's participating. It's part of its birth process as it pecks through the shell and emerges from it. It gets to participate in this great work of nature. And it's amazing watching these little babies grow. We can see their little heads now, their little mouths. As it's the mother and the father that are feeding them, but they are participating in it. See, we must understand who we will be. And we must see this life as an opportunity. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If you are a Christian, you have hope. If you're not a Christian, you have hope. You can become a Christian. His gift is for anyone who will believe in him. It's not about religion. It's not about philosophy. It's about new birth. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. We have a hope. And if we have a hope, we have a task. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. You and I get to participate. Everything that's a hardship in your life and a difficulty and a challenge is an opportunity for us to say, I'm a child of God. And this is the way I'll live, even though I'm tempted to live this way and everybody's telling me different. And as we peck through the shell of this life, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory. And one day, when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. So we must live in tomorrow while we live today, living a righteous life, the result of a redeemed life. Let us live in tomorrow while we live today, because how we behave evidence of our birth. Let us pray. Lord, I remember who I was. The scriptures clearly tell us who we were as a people, enemies of God, who ran from you, who hated your word, hated your lordship. And yet because you were great and rich in mercy, you adopted us. You brought us to yourself. You died for us on the cross and you redeemed us. We praise you, Lord. We do recognize who you are, the righteous one, the King of glory. Lord, help us recognize who we are in you and rejoice in this great love. Let it transform our lives that we practice doing righteousness every single day. 
Lord, and let us not lose hope. For we shall one day be transformed from these fragile bodies to the heavenly body that we are meant to be. And we will see each other, and we will see you as we are meant to be. So help us to live in tomorrow, even if we live today. All of this we pray in Christ's name.